This is case 91 from the Hegegan Roku, <clears throat> Yen Quan's Rhinoceros. The pointer. To transcend emotion, detach from views, remove bonds and dissolve sticking points, to uphold the fundamental vehicle of transcendence and support the treasury of the eye of the true Dharma, you must also respond equally in all ten directions. Be crystal clear in all respects and directly attain to such a realm. But tell me, are there any one who attain alike, realize alike, die alike, and live alike? To test, I cite this case to see. The main case. One day, Yen Quan called his attendant. Bring me my rhinoceros horn fan. The attendant said, the fan is broken. Yen Kuan said, if the fan is broken, bring the rhinoceros back to me. The attendant had no reply. Tutsu said, I do not refuse to bring it out, but I fear the horn on its head will be imperfect. Zuetu commented, I want an imperfect horn. Shishuang said, if I return it to the master, then I won't have it. Zretu commented, the rhino is still here. Tsufu drew a circle and wrote the word rhino inside it. Zretu commented, why did you not bring it out before? And powerful said, the master is aged, he should ask someone else. And Zretu commented, What a pity to have worked hard without accomplishing anything. The verse. The rhinoceros horn fan has long been in use, but when asked, actually nobody knows. The boundless pure breeze and the horn on the head, just like the clouds and rain, when gone, are difficult to pursue. When I became a Dharma successor, it was a traditional ceremony revolved around what we call mind-to-mind -mind transmission. And during that ceremony, there were many profound moments or aspects. But there was one that struck me to the core. I still feel it today. At some point, towards the end of the ceremony, my teacher looked me in the eye intently and said, do not let the Dharma die. Do not let the Dharma die. And at that moment, I felt in my entire body the gravity of what it means to be a Dharma successor, Dharma teacher, and the responsibility that had been bestowed on me at that moment.
you know, by becoming a teacher, I made a vow to study and embody, to continuously study and embody the Dharma until my last breath, and to share it with others by teaching, guiding, encouraging, setting an example. Of course, it is a vast, multifaceted commitment. But to point a few aspects of it, it means to keep my own practice alive by deepening the understanding of the Zen tradition as a seamless aspect of everyday life, not separated of it. And in terms of teaching others, it means to expose students to all traditional aspects of practice and encourage everyone to use all Dharma teachings correctly and skillfully. And one of the unique aspects of the Zen tradition is its use of the koan system. It's very unique to the Zen tradition. Koans offer profound scope by which we can examine our habitual way of thinking, the way we use language, the way we function as we move through everyday life. And they can shed light on how we trap ourselves and how we can experience liberation and unconditional sense of contentment. And of course, koans can be very challenging to work on, to work with. But I encourage all of you who are currently engaged in the koan study to work with your attitude towards it. To open up to it. To open up to the challenge, to embrace and fully arouse intrigue and curiosity rather than get bogged down by frustration. To turn towards even and maybe more so when, more importantly, when we feel frustrated, when we feel like we're getting nowhere, when we feel like the usual tools of operating do not work so well. So instead of chucking what it is that we are working on, we have to examine how we work on it. Maybe that's where the solution is. Maybe that's where the barrier is, rather than I don't understand this, so the hell with it. And we also need to keep in mind that the corn system is a vital part of our tradition. And if we don't work with it, if we don't uphold it, it will be lost. So one of the things I realized when, at that moment, when I was bestowed with this great responsibility of not letting the Dharma die. If we don't do it, future generations will not do it either. We can't say other people are doing it so we don't have to worry about it. Because it always comes down to us. 
whatever we do, whatever we engage in, will be passed on to future generations. And if we are excited about it, if we understand the potential that lies in this aspect of practice, then we're going to pass on the excitement as well, intrigue. And if we're bogged down by it, we're going to pass on that to future generations. It's the same with liturgy. If we don't chant it, if we don't uphold it, it will be lost. So while I was the one entrusted with this responsibility, by being a member, by being a practitioner, you are also a part of it. All of us, together. Practice it, uphold it, pass it on to others. So this particular case, this particular koan, appears in two collections, the Hekigan Roku and the Shoyo Roku. And it's considered among a short list of Nanto koans, which are known as hard to pass. And Hakuin even goes on to say that this case is the most precipitous of the hundred cases from the Hekigan Roku, from the Blue Cliff record. And essentially, the reason we find koans challenging lies in how they ask us to loosen up the grip on the known and the familiar and turn towards unknown and uncharted. The conventional language we use for interacting with the world obviously is based on an organized conceptual structure that makes sense. And it corresponds with the way we think. Everything we encounter seems to fit in one of the many compartments we have in our heads. And we very much like to keep it this way because, because it makes sense, because it seems to be organized. And it gives us a sense of understanding what's happening or at least understanding where to put what we encounter. There's also a box of, I don't know what that means. So if we encounter that, well, I have a box for that. At least I know, know where to put it. When we work with a koan, all of it is turned upside down, and we don't know where to place it. As we read the text and, and ponder its meaning, you know, we search for words that we can grasp or reject and try to impose logical explanations of it. Compare it with what we know, compare it with other koans. It's a natural thing to do. We've done koans for a little while. We think we have come up with some new system or code to figure out koans. And very quickly we try to copy and paste 
It's a lazy way of doing things, obviously. But beyond that, we miss out on a lot by doing so. So we look for ways to, you know, to compare it, something we can sink our teeth into, something we can digest. And when these strategies don't work, we tend to get frustrated. Put the book away, maybe even think point that the whole koan study is meaningless or pointless, not for me, not my thing. So it's not surprising at all, and it is common to feel frustrated, to feel stuck. But if we really want to expand, if we really want to break through the shell, we have to change our attitude. We have to cross that barrier. The tendency for us is to jump on familiar words that make emotional and intellectual understanding, or at least some sense of solid ground. And when we do that, we actually feel that there is understanding. We feel that we can relate. But all we relate to is actually ourselves. We relate to what we know. Or we relate to our own interpretation of what we are working with, rather than really look at it. And the mechanism of making sense may work on other aspects of life, but when it comes to koans, or when it comes to spiritual growth, instead of leading us to the unknown, it feeds what we already know. And whatever perceptions we have already of ourselves and the world. So how can we grow if we don't know how to deal with our own frustration? How can we experience any dissolving or any changes if we don't know how to deal with ourselves? When what we hear corresponds with what we think and feel, we're not driven to go deeper. We're not driven to do work, to inquire. And rather than encourage us to be curious, the familiar language keeps us comfortably tucked in, numb, disconnected from reality. especially when it comes to koans such as this one. The pointer to this koan is asking us to shake it up and go beyond emotional and psychological interpretations. To transcend emotion, detach from views, remove bonds, and dissolve sticking points. 
to uphold the fundamental vehicle of transcendence and support the treasury of the eye of the true Dharma. That's the task. You must respond equally in all ten directions. You must be crystal clear in all respects and directly attain to such a realm. And the word directly is obviously very important. To go directly to rather than to the filter or to the filtering or filtration mechanism. How does a con look like when it's left alone, raw, as is? Ask that question. Look at it this way. When I have no idea what this is about, it's put aside. Where when I'm frustrated about this, it's put aside. Then, what's left? So to be free to respond in the ten directions means to hold on to nothing including frustration, and to let go of the fascination that we have with the familiar thoughts and opinions, ideas. It means to be natural and flowing without the burden, the burden of the intellectual and emotional interpretations. And it is a burden. We are a burden to ourselves. We as what we know. What we know eventually becomes a burden if we don't let it go. So you might ask, you might ask about experience. Where does experience come in, right? Because we learn. We study all kinds of things. Shouldn't we hold on to them? And the answer is, if it's embodied or when it's embodied, there's no need to hold on. When it's not embodied, you got to put it in the backpack and carry it around. Hence the burden. So to be natural and flowing without the burden. But how can we let go and be natural? It's a very interesting phrase, to let go. We say, I have to let go. You have to let go. It's a common phrase. Easy to say. Impossible to do. Impossible to do. Why? There is nothing there to let go of. How do we let go of something that's not a thing? How do we put down what's not there to begin with? How do we let go if we don't have the capacity to hold on? Or even to say, it's all empty. Even that doesn't mean anything. 
as long as we search for meaning through logical or familiar process, it's all empty, becomes another one of those boxes. Monk wants us judge you. The ultimate path has no difficulties, just avoid picking and choosing. Isn't that a cliche for people of these times? Mijaju said, once someone asked me, and I really couldn't explain for five years. And the statement, the statement Jiaoju used to use it a lot, the ultimate path has no difficulties, just avoid picking and choosing, is from the Xinjin Mei, Trust in Mind, by Seng Tsan, the third patriarch. And Jiaoju used it often, but when Jiaoju uttered the words, there were no sticky points. But when the monk heard the words, they became a cliché. Isn't that a cliché? Means it is a cliché. Because that's how I see it. Because I see it as something static. And besides, just avoid picking and choosing. Well, you just chose a box to put it in. While picking and choosing, how can we talk of no picking and choosing? It's a lot deeper than that. We can't just stay in the shallows and expect to go deep. And all koans and dharma teachings are pointing to our essential nature, which is not bound by anything. Until and unless we create something of And in the process of expanding, we each have to come in touch with the tendency, tendency to get trapped by our interpretations. And we each have to choose to turn away from the familiar and go towards what seems obscure, cold, foreign, different. In other words, to turn towards what we don't like. And we have to experience through our own body and mind. Through the pain in our legs while practicing zazen. Through the frustration while working with a koan. Through the boredom. Through the commentaries of I don't like slow kinhin. I don't like to chant Enmeju Kanangyo so slowly. Everybody experiences that. So what? Big deal. I don't like. The ultimate path is without difficulties, just avoid picking and choosing. Yeah, but I don't like it. I don't even like that statement. 
because he goes against me. Turning away from the familiar sounds very much like turning away from life itself because this is how we see life, how we function. In the verse from another koan, it says, a straight hook, six fish who turn away from life, and a curved hook catches clams. A curved hook, a straight hook seeks those who turn away from life. And the curved hook refers to Familiarity we find in our world, in words that we can easily digest, understand, relate to. Words that make sense. It's the way we close our eyes and go along with assumption of incompleteness, inadequacy, and false promise of finding completion through eventual and eventual contentment through some kind of accumulation. No matter what it is. The more the better. That's the promise. Whether it's enough money, assets, knowledge, power, spirituality, recognition, whatever it is. Approval. And the curb hook is also the assumptions that past experiences and consequences of karma or current circumstances have created me as an unworthy or damaged person. And all these thoughts, feelings, and expectations are shaped like a curved hook that we follow, we bite, we get stuck by, stuck with. And often without even being aware of it. And then we are living and dying within a shell. And then there is the straight hook, which comes in the form of words that don't make sense. And a language that seems completely foreign to us at first. It comes in shapes and sounds that may activate a false defense mechanism which tries to push us away from what seems foreign and back towards what seems familiar. And practitioners often experience that as resistance and aversion to zazen, koans, chanting, kinhin, Zazenkai, Sishin, Rakusu, whatever. It just comes in, in the form of, a resi- of resistance. Some resistance. Resistance to waking up early. You know, when encountering the unfamiliar, we often feel threatened. And so we may try to mold it to fit our way of thinking. We may try to make sense of it. Make it look logical, 
try to look for ways to explain it or just label it as pointless or irrelevant and disregard it and then turn back to what is digestible and familiar. That's why it says, straight hook seeks those who turn away from life. Those who turn away from life. The first of the three pillars of Zen, the great doubt, is exactly about that. It refers to the importance of raising doubts about what's familiar and comfortable and turn towards what is unknown. The great doubt. It's not the doubt of who I am or doubt of my worthiness. It's the great doubt. Turn away. Go against. In fact, this is why when officiating, there's a point during the service that I make a circle counterclockwise and then clockwise. And the first one, the counterclockwise, is exactly that. Turn away against the familiar. Away from life as we know it. And then clockwise, back to life as we know it. From a completely different vantage point. So in the case of this koan, it's Yen Kuan who lowers down the straight hook. One day Yen Kuan called his attendant, bring me my rhinoceros horn fan. The attendant said, the fan is broken. And the footnote says, but before it was brought up, it was whole. We are the ones creating the complications. the same complications we are trying to get ourselves out of. A rhinoceros horn was considered a precious item at that time, so a fan handle made of it was a very special thing. So Yang Kuan asked for it, but he knew that that fan, that handle, was broken. So knowing it was broken, why would he ask his attendant to bring it? The commentary said, although this matter does not lie in words, yet if you want to test someone's ordinary disposition and ability, still it is necessary to be able to use words in this way to show it. 
On, this is for us, for you. On the last day of the last month of your life, if you can find strength to be the master, even when myriad visions appear in profusion, you can look upon them without being moved. This can be called accomplishment without accomplishment, effortless power. On the last day of the last month of your life, do you know it's not today? Can you be certain that it's not today? Can you be certain that you will know? When is the last day of the last month of your life? Isn't it today? Is there another day? The assumption is, of course. The assumption is, it's later. I got some other things to do for now. I got different priorities because it's later. So he's talking about today. And he's asking, can you find strength to be the master even when myriad visions appear in profusion? And they do appear in profusion. Inside and outside. Constant battle, resistance, thoughts, memories, lament, aspiration. Does it ever stop? Are we waiting for it to stop? And then we say, if you wait, you're going to have to wait until the year of the donkey. When is the year of the donkey? Anybody knows? No. Yeah? If we wait, we just wait. You know, all these great Zen masters <laughs> devoted their entire lives to embodying awakening and to help, to help others awaken. And their efforts were single-mindedly directed at shaking up whoever would come and study with them. And snap them out of a dreamland. They were not interested in wasting time on explanations, circular explanations in most cases or swapping ideas. So when Yen Kuan asked his attendant to bring him the rhinoceros horn fan, he wasn't kidding. He wasn't just fooling with him. Oh, I know it's broken. Let me see what you do. He really wanted his attendant to wake up. And he wasn't talking about an object. He wanted to see his attendant authentic and genuine expression of the essential nature. He wasn't talking about an object. The attendant probably saw an object. 
That's why, because it says in commentary, even when mirrored visions appear in profusion, you can look at them without being moved. If you can see everything without being moved, then you're not seeing objects. And then you express, or you can express from there. This is what happens when we see objects, we hear sounds, we easily get lost in them and then create complications. What does it mean? Doesn't he know it's broken? Before it was brought up, it was whole. Before, during, and after. As the Buddha said, it's good in the beginning, it's good in the middle, and it's good in the end. It's whole in the beginning, it's whole in the middle, and whole in the end. Yet, can't you, can you say that the fan is not broken? And maybe the attendant was referring to the fact that it is broken and just stating that. Or he may have had some level of understanding and he's saying that by speaking about the essential nature, we chop it up, which is also true. The, the words themselves create gaps. And then we make something out of nothing. In Judaism, you're not supposed to utter the word, the Hebrew word for God. I remember growing up in Israel, I was exposed to that. I asked some religious people, Orthodox Jews, why? And they said all kinds of things, but I, nobody said anything about when you say the name, you make something off it. And when you make something off it, you actually think that you know something about it. And by doing that, you limit it. You limit it, you limit you. you know, studying Zen can help shed light on religion in general. All religions. Zen is not about Zen. Buddhism is not for Buddhists. And so to test him further, Yen Kuan said, fine, if the fan is broken, then bring back the rhinoceros to me. I want the rhinoceros. When all things go to the one, where does the one go to? When all things return to the one, where does the one return to? So since the rhinoceros fan, horn fan is broken, bring me the actual thing, the actual rhinoceros. And he wants his attendant to completely empty out 
even of saying the handle is broken. Fine, drop that too. Here's another chance. Show up utterly naked and express in form that which is formless. Express in words that which is not bound by words. And such expressions in Zen are known as knowing how to play an iron flute without holes. It simply makes no sense. Yet everybody can do that. That's what's so sad about this. The sadness of the Bodhisattva, knowing everybody can be, can live a content life, life of contentment. But so many don't. Who doesn't have it? The commentary says, observe how that ancient was always within it 24 hours a day, encountering it everywhere. Yang Kuan said, if the fan is broken, bring the rhinoceros back to me. But tell me, what did he want with the rhinoceros? He just wanted to test the attendant to see whether or not he knew where it was. Do you know where it is? That's where it really has to become deeply intimate. That's where we need to become totally vulnerable. Speak of being vulnerable. Quite often, when people feel like they have to be vulnerable, they open up, open up, and there's a point, oh, that's not for me. I'm going to go somewhere else. There are some things I don't want others to see. But the question is, who are we fooling? Who are we hiding from? One of the most important responsibilities of a Sangha, of cultivating a Sangha, is for us to be able to open up and by opening up, willing to open up and by opening up, to reflect to others, it's okay, it's safe. Not only that, it is, it's needed on the path of liberation. Whatever we hold on to makes the trap we're trying to get out of. In our dialogue, a monk asked Zen Master Yen Kuan, what is the true body of Vairokana Buddha? Yen Kuan said, bring me the pitcher of pure water. The monk brought Yen Kuan the pitcher. Then Yen Kuan said, now put it back where it was. So the monk returned the pitcher to its position and then turned to its teacher and asked the same question again. 
Lian Kuan said, the ancient Buddhas are long gone. Was he being abusive? Playing with him? Bring me this thing, now put it back where it was. Or was he just being absolutely truthful? You ask a question. Let me show you. Let me tell you. Let me tell you all about it. Bring the picture. Put it back. Not good? Yeah, I do this. But then are you going to give me the answer after that? The ancient Buddhas are long gone. There are many ways to see that. Say, well, you missed the point. That's one way. But the other way is the ancient Buddhas are long gone. It's up to you. You see for yourself. Stop relying on others. Stop relying on a teacher. So later on, after this dialogue between Yen Kuan and his attendant, a few other masters added their own comments on the exchange. And it's interesting that, uh, and you see that sometimes in koans, usually interesting koans that they found provoking, other, that the world will get around, other masters will later on comment or speak about a saying of someone else or a dialogue that happened somewhere else with their students. So they commented, in a way, speaking on behalf of the speechless attendant. Tutsu said, I do not refuse to bring it out, but I fear the horn on its head will be imperfect. And Zretu commented, I want an imperfect horn. It's exactly what I'm looking for. And what is this imperfection we are so afraid of? Why are we not willing to open up? What are we hiding? Who's judging? There's no other way to I'm not saying it because of Zen. There's no other way to be liberated or to experience liberation without going toward hurts, without opening up. I want an imperfect home. Who told you that the crooked is not straight? Think about it. Who says that what is crooked is not straight? Shishuang said, if I return it to the master, then I won't have it. 
And then it's ready to come and then the rhino is still here. Of course. A dog has Buddha nature. A dog doesn't have Buddha nature. If you still dance around between having and not having, then listen to this. Zueto is trying to help. The rhino is still here. Think about it. Don't think about it. Believe it. Don't believe it. Buy. Don't buy. Go here. Go there. It doesn't change. It is not bound to having or not having. And Futsu drew a circle and wrote the word rhino inside it. And Zretu commented, Zretu is the compiler of the Blue Cliff record. He commented, why did you not bring it out before? In his way to school, not his way to school, sorry, in Futsu school, it was customary for them to draw a circle or to use circle in the way that they communicated with each other as a way of teaching. Like this circle, the Enso. It's continuous, everything is included. There is nothing that's not there. Why did you not bring it out before? You know, why did you not bring it out before for us is why not bring it out now? Because this will be before for later. You look back and say, well, I didn't bring it out before. I didn't trust it before. But today is before. So how about today? Apafu said, the master is aged. He should ask someone else. Yeah, the master is aged. You rely on you. Who will you ask? As we commented the last line, what a pity to have worked hard without accomplishing anything. Nyakuin commented on this last line saying, one line settles heaven and earth. And then he added, if you can absorb the essence of this statement, you will be the master of the Blue Cliff Record. The Ekigan Roku. One line settles heaven and earth. What a pity to have worked hard without accomplishing anything. What a pity to think that there is a need to accomplish anything. What a pity that we turn away from Buddha. Verse the rhinoceros fan, horn fan has long been in use. And the commentary, the footnote says, in summer, 
cool, in winter, warm. Everyone has it. Why don't they know? Who has never used it? Why? Why do we act as if we don't? But when asked, actually nobody knows. And it says, the footnote, they know, but they don't understand. Better not fool people. Better not fool people. And you shouldn't suspect anyone else. The boundless pure breeze and the horn on the head. Just like the clouds and rain, when gone, are difficult to pursue. When gone, are difficult to pursue. What limit is there to the pure wind circling the earth? When has it not been this way? Tenke commented on this saying, this refreshing fan has been used by everyone 24 hours a day. Ever since there have been Buddhas and Zen masters. However, because people use it without being aware of it, when questioned, actually no one knows. Not only the attendant, but also the four elders did not know where it was, says Secho, sweeping all away. Why doesn't anyone know what this fan is? Do you know he challenges you, implying that you probably don't? And that is why Secho, unbegrudgingly telling you the boundless pure breeze, do you see the fan? If you get to know it, there is a timeless, boundless, pure breeze, clean and clear, and the horn on the rhinoceros stands revealed in its imposing grandeur right before your very eyes. Don't try to imagine what it must be like. That horn stands tall and sharp. It is a refreshing, reviving fan. Boundless. Fountain, quenching everyone, all the time. We go against it. We disparage. You know, we chant when we express our gratitude by accomplishing the way together. Our gratitude for those old masters, for the Dharma, for having encountered the Dharma. And we can change it to may we express our gratitude by not disparaging the Buddha as ourselves, by not believing that we're not by not trusting that we are lacking. May we not disparage the Buddha.